That's good stuff. Hey, excited to see you all tonight. Man, it's good to be back. I feel like I've been gone for a long time. Spring break, another vacation with my family. I've just missed you guys. Uh, happy to be here tonight. I got a question for you. How many of you have ever gone cliff jumping before? Mm, where's all the daredevils? The adrenaline junkies. Cliff jumping, you know, like you go to a lake or some hopefully deep body of water and you're up on the cliff, you hiked up there, and you run off as fast as you can, and you jump. And based on how high the cliff is, maybe you need somebody like stirring up the water below so it doesn't feel like you're hitting concrete when you get to the bottom. A lot of you guys have done this, you know what I'm talking about. I have a story, happened to me in high school when I was about 15, and I know a lot of you probably don't believe any story I say anymore after... I pretended to have a girlfriend come up on stage once, but this is true, so go with it. I'm about 15 years old, and I'm on Lake, not Lake, um, what's it called? The Wapsie Pinnacan River. Anybody ever been on the Wapsie Pinnacan River? It's gorgeous. Thick as mud. And I remember floating down the river with my buddies, and we're having a great time, but we're getting a little bored. Floating down a river can do that to you. You get a little ugh, lethargic. You get a little bored. You need a kick of adrenaline. And that kick of adrenaline came when we turned the bend and we saw the perfect cliff. The perfect drop-off where one of my buddies says, I bet we could jump off of that. And nobody's going to say no. We're 15. We have to be cool. And so, of course, we say yes, me and some buddies, a couple kind of sissies stay back in the water to watch us. You know, to get good videos or something, and we make the hike up. We go up, and it's almost like rock climbing, like a mud wall. Like, it's so steep, this might have been the most dangerous part, right? Like, we're slipping, and we're trying to get up, and we finally get up to the cliff about 25-plus feet high, based on our eye measurement. And this cliff was a little interesting, because this cliff did not have what you would call a clean drop-off. And what I mean by a clean drop-off is, like, right here... You can kind of tell, I can sit on the edge, and it's not going to crumble beneath me. But this, we had no idea. And so we're up there in a cornfield on this cliff, moving the corn around, trying to make a runoff spot. Now, let me ask you guys, especially those of you who have been cliff jumping before, what is the fastest way to ruin your cliff jumping experience? It's this. You don't go all in. You hesitate. You don't commit. And in my case, I get up there, my friends are watching, and it's time to make a name for myself. 15-year-old on the Wapsipinikin River, and this is my time. And I start running, and I sprint, but I start to get a little bit nervous when I'm about right here. And I kind of slow down a bit. And it's kind of muddy, and I'm kind of losing my footing. And I start to feel like this isn't going to be good. But I jump. But I didn't jump off the edge. I jumped about two feet from behind the edge, and I don't know why. But I was scared. But my fear was about to grow exponentially. Because as I jumped, I saw nothing below me but a sandy shore and a rocky, rocky, shallow bed of water. 
the promised land, the deep water, was out a little bit farther. And next thing you know, I'm suspended in midair, completely unsure of what's about to happen. And the only thing I can see besides the ground beneath me and the rocks beneath me is the massive eyeballs of all of my friends watching in the water going, oh no, he's going to die. And so I'm suspended in thin air and that's where I'm going to leave you for now. We'll finish that later. The fastest way to ruin... I didn't die. I mean, the, the fastest way to ruin a cliff jumping experience is to not go all in. And here comes the cheesy church twist for you that is very, very true. And so you're going to want to hear it. The fastest way to ruin your life is to not go all in for Jesus. What do I mean? What Dalton just read so eloquently for us was Jesus' two different letters to two different churches in the book of Revelation who were both playing the same or very similar risky games. They were attempting the impossible, these churches. One foot in the church with Jesus over here and another in the world over here. So let me explain a few things from this text. Let me explain a little bit about what's going on here, and then we're going to see how it applies to us today in our church. And this is always true, but tonight it's especially true that this message is for you. <laughs> it's not for somebody out there tonight. It's for me. A lot of times, like, even with a good heart, we'll come up to one another afterwards like, hey, that message was really I think it'd be really, really good for my friend to hear that. Like, oh my gosh, Ryan, those were such true words from the Bible. My friend, oh, he really needs that. No, tonight, I need this, and you need this, and nobody else. Sound good? Okay, so let me explain what's going on here. I'm going to show you guys, kind of side by side, how similar in structure and form these two letters are, okay? And so, on one side, we have Pergamum. And on the other side, Thyatira. That's our best uh, pronunciation attempt right there. Two completely different cities, very different style. Pergamum, big, impressive, a ton of religion to false gods, a ton of wealth, up on a hill, beautiful. And Thyatira, small, insignificant. And Jesus writes to both of them a very similar thing. We start out with almost an introduction of the author, Jesus himself. And if you look up on the screen, you will see next to each other Jesus' introduction of himself. He describes himself as having a sharp, double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. That's terrifying. He describes himself as a son of God who has eyes like fire and bronze feet. Jesus wants to make something very clear to both of these churches and to us tonight that he is not a God to mess around with, that he is in control, that he is powerful and glorious and mighty. That's his introduction. But he moves on next to that he sees all of the awesome stuff happening in their churches. Isn't that cool? Like that he is actually affirming the good stuff that a lot of people in the churches are doing. I think that's really cool. He says, I know where you live, where Satan's throne is. Like you, 
Pergamum are in a really dark place. There's a lot of other religion going on there, a lot of evil stuff, but you are holding fast. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful servant, who was what? He was martyred for his faith in Jesus. We don't know much about Antipas. The Bible doesn't say a whole lot about him. History doesn't say that much about him. But it said that he was burned in one of those, like, are they called, like, iron bowls? Right? Have you guys heard of those where it's shaped like a bowl? And they put you in there. It's made of bronze or iron or brass. And they just light a fire under it. And it's shaped like a bowl. So that when you're screaming for your life inside, melting in there, your screams come out like a bowl, like roaring, if you will. You were even faithful then. And he says over on the other side, I know your works. Like you're doing so many good things. And guess what? They're even getting better. Jesus sees the good even in the little guy. But he moves on and kind of changes the tone a little bit here. He has a rebuke for both churches as well. He says, I have a few things against you, or I have this against you. And very specifically with both of them, different people, but the same idea, false teachers, liars, people who have come into the church and have started preaching and gossiping and sharing things that were influencing people not towards Jesus and the truth, but away from Jesus and the truth, towards things that their itching ears were just burning to hear. False teachers have gotten into the church. You see names like Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites. You see Jezebel. These are characters, uh, a man and a woman from the book of Numbers, from the book of 1 Kings, who were conniving, who were evil, who were wicked, and sometimes the most subtle ways, trying to steer God's people away from him. Specifically, both of them use the examples of eating meat sacrificed to idols and sexual immorality. This was very, very serious. But what Jesus does next is also really cool. He says, repent. And that's really, really cool. A lot of times we get afraid of that word because it's kind of like usually comes when we're in trouble. I don't think our parents ever told us to repent when we did a bad thing, but that's, you get the idea. Like, change your mind. Like, you're doing one thing, but I'm telling you, change your mind, walk the other direction, and follow me again. Jesus is even gracious in his rebuke, saying there's still time to repent. Or else what? Or else the sin that you are living in will actually go punished. And I will have justice. And because I am a loving God, I do not tolerate sin. My loving response to sin is actually called wrath. And that's what will happen to those in the church who do not repent. It's heavy stuff. You can repent or experience the wrath of God. But when Jesus finishes both letters, it's wonderful. It's so cool how he does because he says, repent, and then he offers a vision for what's possible. And this is going to be like the main hook, the main meat of what we want tonight. This word, you will be a conqueror. That's a huge word. You will conquer. To the one who conquers, I have gifts to lavishly give them. Gifts that you can hardly understand. They're so much better than any gift you've ever received before. If you conquer, I will give them freely to you. 
Now, what does that word conquer actually mean? If you guys are reading out of the King James tonight, I think uh, the King James word there uh, derived from the Greek is uh, overcometh, to he who overcometh, okay? Conquer sounds just a little bit nicer, a little easier for us to say tonight, to those who conquer. Now, conquering is not just coming in like a warlord and just taking something over. It's this idea of patient endurance and fighting, but not just for a season, but in, until the very end of something. And so when he's saying to those who conquer, he's saying those who would put up with this and have held fast to Jesus throughout it all. The Bible is rich with wonderful conquering language. Specifically, all the way back in Genesis. In Genesis 3, when God looks at the serpent, he looks at the evil one, the one who brought sin to mankind and brought it into the world, he looks at him and he says, there will be a day, Satan, when you will strike my heel. Like, you're going to get a good bite out of me, but I will crush your head. That's conquering. That Jesus says, he will crush the evil one. And if you fast forward, you're going to find more of that conquering snake crusher language in Romans 16. But Jesus doesn't just say, I'm going to conquer. He says something even crazier. He's talking to you guys. He's talking to the church. And he says, oh, I will crush Satan under your feet. Almost like he's inviting us in to this ultimate victory over death and evil. That we will like line up. I just imagine it's like lining up. Thousands of people deep, just walking by one at a time. Boom, there's your turn. Boom, there's your turn. Everybody get in line. We're stomping the snake's head today. That's conquering. All the way to the book of Revelation, chapter 20, where Satan and his destruction is realized and Jesus' ultimate victory begins for good. That's what conquering is. Do you guys want this? Do you guys want to be counted conquerors like Jesus is saying? Do you? Do you want it? Absolutely. Yes, you do. We don't want the wrath of God. We want to be conquerors. We want to receive the gift. We want to stomp on Satan's head. We want this. And these churches said the exact same thing. They also said they wanted to conquer. They wanted the good but they didn't want anything that was hard. Apparently, they actually wanted other things more. And what these false teachers are doing is they're coming in, those described who are like Balaam, who are like Jezebel, they're coming in and actually just dangling something shiny in front of the church, something that arouses something deep inside of us that we actually want more than Jesus. The question for us then is, will we be people who see the wrath of Jesus or will we be people who conquer with Jesus? There's a hard line drawn tonight. And of course we want to be conquerors in the end. But we can only pick one tonight, the world or Jesus. And so what I want to know tonight, as we unpack this for the next couple minutes is what does it actually look like for me to be a conqueror today? Like we can look from cover to cover in the Bible and we can see that yes, when I put my faith in the risen Jesus and I believe the gospel and I am counted with him, I will be a conqueror. But I'm asking the question for you and for me, what does it look like tomorrow? 
So here's the big idea for tonight. Live like a conqueror today. Live like a conqueror today. That's the goal when we leave here. And so let's see how these letters kind of charge us to do this. Okay? I was on a family vacation this week. And I have like 11 or 12, I think 11, nieces and nephews. It's hard to count after a while. Forgive me. But do you know what's kind of cute, kind of annoying? When a baby has a pacifier, there's only one baby left in the family. And then you take it away. And they start screaming. It's like super annoying, right? Like there's not like maybe they just drop it. Like it's it's their fault. You actually didn't do anything wrong. But they drop the pacifier and they start screaming, and it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like get your baby under control, right? But on let's be real, it's like it's a baby, it's kind of cute, right? It's kind of cute. Even if it's annoying. They need that pacifier or they are going to die. That's what they're pretty much trying to tell you. But do you know what's a little less cute? When you kind of go up the, the ladder of the nephews a little bit, and you get to one that's a little bit older, and they're playing with, like, mom or dad's phone, right? And you're like, all right, time to be done with screen time. And, you, like, this is brave, right? They walk up, and they take the phone out of the hands of the little kid, spoiled little kid, and the kid just goes straight golem on him from Lauren. He's like, ah, and just like lunges out at him. And like literally, it's like, oh my gosh, they're gonna bite their parent. That's terrifying. It's kind of cute, but let's just say a little bit less cute than the baby. But then it gets a little more serious, right? You start to look as the ages get a little older and the life circumstances get a little bit more serious, and that guy or that girl breaks up with you. Or maybe somebody even older kind of loses that dream job that they once had and their security is swept out from under them. And we see in ourselves and in people all around us, we react that when we lose these things that we desire and we want so badly that we freak out as if we actually can't survive without them. There is a point where what we want is actually the very thing that starts controlling us. You know what I mean? Jesus is calling out these churches because they have put their desires, the things they want, above the truth of what he has said, the truth of his words. He's saying, look at Balaam, look at Jezebel, these characters from the Old Testament. They just gave people what they wanted. Sure, these people were counted as the people of God, but in order to seduce them, to pull them away from God's people, from the church in this day, they didn't just stand up and start preaching something totally different. It was more like a whisper. And it was more like something like, oh, you want Jesus and complete sexual freedom? <laughs> of course you do. Why wouldn't you? It's just natural. Like, you feel that, right? So then it's true. Do whatever you want. If God is actually a loving God, he would not tell you who you can and cannot love. That makes no sense. Have you guys ever heard that before? Have you heard that and even seen that in the commercials that you watch on TV? Man, that's what the false teachers were doing. And that's what they still do today. We're told all the time, to be given any guidelines for our sexuality in particular is like an attack on who you are as a person, as an individual. But in a world that tells you you are what you desire, guys, 
Jesus actually frees you, frees you from that lie. You are not your sexuality. Even though that may be the deepest, most intimate instincts that you feel in the moment, it does not have to define you. Because when you follow Jesus, you don't actually have to be led around like a slave to every impulse and desire anymore. When you follow Jesus, you follow the great snake crusher. Your days of slavery are over. These churches were abandoning that freedom. They were not living like conquerors. But if we, Salt Company, want to live like conquerors today, the first thing that we need to see is that conquerors are not ruled by their desires. Conquerors are not ruled by their desires. I'll never forget this moment of being kind of on the playground or like the lunch thing where middle schoolers hang out. Because it's not like recess, but it's like you eat lunch and then you go hang out and kind of like talk and flirt and stuff. And I remember hearing the news. Hearing the news from one of my friends that they had a great weekend. And their weekend was great specifically because they had a party and they played seven minutes in heaven. Do you guys know what that is? from the pits of hell. It's pretty much a game where everybody just gets in a closet and makes out with each other. Terrible game. But they had an awesome time, I guess. And a couple things stuck out to me really quick. One, whoa, I didn't know people were doing that at this age. Two, I must have missed the invite. And I remember my friend kind of realizing that he was talking to me when I wasn't invited and saying, oh, you know, it, it's, because, <laughs> it's because you're like, you know, like a good guy. Like we knew you wouldn't want to do that. And I know that you're not supposed to make yourself like the hero of stories while you preach, but dang it, I'm still kind of proud of that moment as like a seventh grader. That I didn't get invited to the makeout party because I was a Christian. I'm sure that's the only reason. Stop. You ruined it. Y'all ruined it. But I'm sure, this is important, an important part, I'm sure that was the only reason I wasn't invited. Okay. Because I was a Christian. In all seriousness, what does it look like? If conquerors are not ruled by their desires, what does it actually look like for us to live out today? What does that look like for you on a daily basis? It's not easy, and it's not pretty. There's nothing clean about this. But it might look something like your roommate is constantly having over guys or girls and sleeping with them in your apartment. And you are sitting there, laying in bed, trying to fall asleep, trying to hold on to what is true and your heart breaks for your friend as they're wasting their life just down the hall. It might look like some of us in here, maybe this is you tonight, you come in and you actually have been struggling with same-sex attraction for a long time and you have no idea how to talk about it. You think that you're the only one in the room maybe. But you are fighting, you are here fighting to believe that that desire does not have to own you, that you are fighting to believe that what the Bible says 
is more true. Maybe it's on your way home, you got to go through downtown. But you know that you used to do that and have a completely different, so you actually drive out of your way to go around downtown. Because when you drive downtown on a weekend, you see something that you know you could have. And it stirs something in you that you used to hate. And the temptation feels right at the door. You see it. And you know you can't have it. You say you love him or her. You're going to marry one another. You know, but you feel the tension that they are not pulling you anywhere close to Jesus, but just the opposite. And you know what you have to do. Guys, are we willing to give up even our sexual freedoms to follow Jesus? Oh, that's so lame. Oh, it's a typical church talk. No. Stop. Jim Elliott says that he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Look what Jesus has promised to give us the things that you cannot lose as a conqueror in verse 17. He says that he's going to give you something called hidden manna. Now, a lot of this is super poetic and colorful language, but this is probably what he's saying. This hidden manna is a very special bread. And I think it's speaking directly to these churches who are struggling to be fulfilled and satisfied. They're going elsewhere for all of their satisfaction. They're hungry, like ravenous wolves, just sexually exploring everything they want out there and then coming in here like there is no problem and Jesus saying, I'm offering you something better, something that you are actually created for, something that will actually satisfy you. He says in verse 17, he's going to give you a white stone with a new name, a sign of victory and triumph with a new name. All of the intimacy that you want, that you are looking for with your sexual exploits. Oh, man, I love you so much more. And I want to be in an intimate relationship with you forever. What you see is this. Guys, you know, plain and simple from this text, you do not get both the world and Jesus. The small pleasure here versus what Jesus' offer is for us forever. And the question you have to ask is, am I going to choose Jesus today? Is Jesus actually worth it? The conqueror says absolutely. The conqueror says yes, Jesus is worth it because the conqueror is not ruled by their desires. The conqueror is not half in on Jesus while still serving the flesh. Romans 6 that you have, says that you have died. Like, how could you keep sinning if your flesh is dead? It doesn't make sense. You cannot live in that anymore. Colossians 3 says you have died and your life is hidden with Christ on high. You serve Jesus, not the flesh. The conqueror fights knowing that their victory is right around the corner. At any moment. And don't get me wrong, it is a hard fight to keep the flesh in the grave where it belongs. It's hard to live in a world run by sex, right? Everywhere you go. Like when was the last time you turned on the radio and you heard like, like the singer or the rapper like 
sing a song about like how great like marital sex in a biblical context is. It doesn't sell. You're just not going to hear songs like that. You hear just the opposite. It's hard sometimes to trust the Lord with the desires that are so close to our heart. They're so near and dear, almost ingrained in us. But you know what else is really hard? When the call to follow Jesus is not only like self-denial, like I'm not going to cave into those old desires that used to define me. It's actually being denied by others. That's hard. This was happening to the churches in Revelation. Because you see, in these cultures, idol worship, like kind of religious activity around these false gods was everywhere. It permeated through every part of life. Like the separation of church and state was not a thing here. Absolutely not. It's a way of life. And so the church, which literally means a called out people, did not want to be called out anymore. They were not willing to leave their old ways of life. Why? Well, I mean, sexual desire, one, may be one of the deepest things ingrained in us. But you know what probably runs even deeper in our bones? The desire and the need to belong. The need to belong, right? And you better believe these people felt the social pressures every single day to belong. I mean, even going to the store. Like, you don't just pick up, like, a Snickers bar. You pick up, like, a Zeus bar. Like, everything which is ingrained with false religion and idolatry. Worship of evil things. For these people, everything was tied to the worship of false gods. Why? As they would say, it's just what everybody does. It's just what we do. That's why Jesus calls out this meat that's being sacrificed to idols. It was like a stiff arm to Jesus. It was a refusal to be all in with Jesus. It was a clear practice of clawing tooth and nail to still be like everyone else. But guess what? Jesus did not die so that you could stay looking like the rest of a dying world. Jesus died to free enslaved people from everything that was promising to kill them especially caring more about what society thought about them than what God thought about them. The next thing you need to know tonight, guys, is that conquerors are not ruled by the opinions of others. Conquerors are not ruled by the opinions of others. Have you guys ever stood out before? Like, like felt like you really didn't belong or you really stood out and it was awkward. Oh, man, I remember this terrible day. Middle school, playground, kind of lunch, like right after lunch. And I remember talking to this friend, and they had just played seven minutes in heaven that weekend. It's the same story. I'm kidding. I felt like an, a complete loser that day. That did not go over well at all. I remember just being so isolated and how hilarious it was to think about in hindsight, but just how I, I kind of had to realize at an early age, huh, this is what it's going to be like. Interesting. I guess I'll have to do something else. What does it look like for you to live this out now? To be a conqueror not ruled by the opinions of others. 
Maybe you're in class, and your professor says something about Jesus, but it's not really kind. He actually makes fun of Jesus. He actually talks about the Bible and things like Saul Company as a huge waste of time, and the entire class laughs, and you just feel your hand slowly start to rise, man. And you're like, no, no. <laughs> and you know what you have to do. Maybe it's you sitting home alone as lonely as ever on a Friday night while everyone else has fun. Maybe it's you getting labeled as a Jesus freak, which is a huge term in the 90s that I think we need to bring back. Or maybe it's a little more cutting than that. When the friends that you used to spend every single day with now look at you and say, you've changed. And you stop getting the invites. Maybe, like a guy in my connection group, your parents decide to kick you out of the house when you tell them and invite them to your baptism at church. I don't know what it is for you, but it's going to be something. I'm saying, are you willing to potentially lose the respect of others because of your love for Jesus? I mean, let's not even talk about Antipas here, who's willing to die if we can't even handle being laughed at. Do you know what I love about Antipas? His name literally means all in. We don't know much about him, but we know his name means all in. I'm naming my first son Antipas Hamby for sure. That's sick. <laughs> all in, baby. All in. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Look what Jesus promises us who conquer in verse 26. He says something absolutely wild. He promises the authority over the nations. Wow. That we will be restored like we were in the Garden of Eden as viceroys, as co-rulers with the king of the universe. That he is going to give us, for some reason, out of his grace and his glory, authority. As Paul says, to even rule angels. To destroy evil, like it says, like a rod breaking a pot, it stands no chance. Wow. Whose opinion matters in that moment? Conquerors are not ruled by the opinions of others because opinions of men come and they go. Conquerors can handle losing their cool factor because they found something so much better. The conqueror isn't half living for the applause of Jesus and half for the applause of men. James 4 says that that is actually a contradiction, that friendship with the world is hostility towards God. And friends, I cannot tell you exactly what you will lose if you decide tonight to actually start following Jesus. But it might really, really hurt. Let's stop trying to take the sacrifice out of being told to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. I can't tell you exactly what you will lose if you follow Jesus, but I can tell you what you will gain. The last thing he offers in verse 28, that gift that Jesus has on the table is the morning star. Does that mean we're getting our own planet? No. Revelation 22, Jesus says again, I am the morning star. The greatest gift that Jesus can give you is himself. And when it actually sets in that Jesus gives himself fully to you, you can know this beyond the shadow of a doubt, that Jesus conquered the grave, but not before he tasted death in its fullness. 
that conquers. We are not ruled by sex. We are not ruled by our pleasure. We are not ruled by the approval of people. But conquerors are ruled by a crucified king. That's our final point tonight. Conquerors are ruled by a crucified king. The greatest victory that the world can offer any of us is to explore your sexuality with no limit. Go for it however you want. The greatest victory that the world can offer you is their acceptance and their applause, at least until you are dead and gone and forgotten. But the greatest victory that Jesus can offer us is dying alongside him on a cross. Huh. Dying alongside him on a cross. And in a crazy twist of events, finally being free. Finally being free as what used to rule us stays in that grave. And the new us, conquering us, rises to eternal life with Jesus Christ. Lying teachers will tell you this, that you can have Jesus and you can have the world. And I'm t telling you tonight, don't believe that. Following Jesus comes with a conquering crown, absolutely, yes, but not before it comes with a cross. Jesus had to first be conquered by death in its fullness so that he could have victory in its fullness. And so when Jesus says he is giving you himself as the morning star, he is giving you the same victory that he earned. He is giving you the same life and the same power that he himself earned. This may be what you're asking after all this. In our zeal and our emotion, in our, oh man, I love that. Yes, that's really good. We might be asking, if Jesus gave me his all, how could I not turn and give him my all? Fair question. I love that. I'm asking the exact same thing, but this might actually be a better question for most of us tonight. I have already failed at giving Jesus my all. I am straddling the fence. I do have one world, one foot in the world, and one foot in the church. The question for me is what hope is there for me? What hope is there for someone like me tonight who does not have all of his ducks in a row, who does not have it all together, who is not the conquering type? I am that roommate having sex with whoever I want, whenever I want. I am that same sex attracted person, but have never took God's words as truth to me. I don't drive around downtown because I am downtown chasing pleasure like a starving man. I am dating the unbeliever. I want to marry them, but there's no way I can choose Jesus over them. I have sat in those classes as students laughed and made fun of Jesus, and I sat and said nothing. And yeah, I do sit there alone in my dorm room, but I just sit there and I resent God for holding out the good life as my friends party the weekend away. I am the one ashamed to tell my friends, ashamed to tell my family about what Jesus has done in my life. I am straddling the fence, one foot in the church, one foot in the world. What hope is there for me? Friends, if that is you, this is your hope. You follow a crucified king, and that means something tonight. That means that there is nothing he would not do, no length or pain that he would not endure to free you from sin and death forever. That means he loves you so much, he's even willing to call you out and call you awake tonight. That means the Lord of life now even has the keys to death in his hand, and he is giving you hope to conquer. He went to the cross, he paid for your sin, and he's here tonight just saying, jump. Jump. 
jump in. And so I jumped. I backed up to the corn. I sprinted. I slowed down. I completely biffed it, and I was floating in the air. All I saw below me was sandy shore, rocky shore, big rocks, shallow water, nothing you want to see when you're falling 25 feet in the air. And next thing you know, I just kind of kept floating in the air, and I kind of kept floating in the air, and I realized I think I'm going to clear the rocks. And I land, but not in the deep water. I land in what had to have been three-foot water. Heck, let's just say two for the sake of tonight. And as my knee buckled and my friends had a collective, (gasps) I stood up and I was completely fine. I realized nothing had happened. And I realized that story wasn't actually that great because I was completely unscathed. And y'all should be ashamed for wanting me to get hurt to make that a better story. (laughs) It was almost like an angel carrying me through the sky. And I'm telling you tonight, guys, if you feel like you are just floating between the world and the church and you do not know which side you are going to fall on, that you have already made a mess of your life and you have plans to go out to the bars tonight even, that's how floaty you are. Just know that Jesus, in his most unbelievably powerful and merciful tender words is telling you tonight repent there is still hope i don't know what tomorrow holds for you but i do know in this moment there is still time there will be a moment when there is no time jesus is clear about that but there is a moment right now for you to jump all in And for you to see the wrath of God that is like a cloud over you, just drift away and not go under a rug, but go directly over the Son of God himself on a cross where he absorbed it all for you. That's your hope tonight. What we know is that the king is going to throw down on sin. He is going to stomp the serpent's head, and I want to be right behind him ready to go. Jump fully in with Jesus. No longer following the cruel slave drivers of pleasure and applause, but by that gentle and easy yoke of your crucified and risen King Jesus. Guys, live like a conqueror today. So you want to end this in a cheesy place? We're going to end this in a cheesy place. You guys know that? What does that sound like, live like a conqueror today? Any Notre Dame football fans in here? No. Well, they had this really good idea when they walk out to the football field. They got this sign. We got a picture of that sign. It says, play like a champion today. Thought the picture would be a little bigger, sorry. And what they are saying is they walk out, there you go, thanks. Before they even take one step onto the gridiron, they make every single player touch that sign. They're saying, oh, you're a champion, therefore play like it. And what we're doing tonight is we're saying, hey, Christian, you are a conqueror, live like it. And so in all of its glorious cheesiness, we have put a sign out there above the door that Taylor and Mikey made. On your way out, you can touch that sign. Live like a conqueror today, man. Let's go believing that Jesus has wonderful things for your life, that you do not have to be a slave to your sin anymore. But man, following him is hard. And it is absolutely worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that the gospel, the good news tonight, is not how can we repay you for how great you are? How, like, what can we do 
to conquer? What can we do to stop sinning? That's not the gospel. The gospel tonight is what have you done for us? And Jesus, when we look at the cross and we look at the empty tomb, we know exactly what you've done for us. You have conquered death and sin. And Lord, I want to confess that there is an old me that is just clawing and fighting to get back from the grave all the time. I know he's there. But I want everybody in here, I want all of us just to feel the presence of the Lord in here. To know that you are with us, God. And you do not put anything in front of us that we cannot handle when you're with us, right? And so, God, would you just empower us by your spirit tonight to be people who love to fight sin, who love to put our foot down on the head of the snake, who love to throw our hands up in worship like battle cries, who say that, yeah, you are worthy, you are worth it, Jesus, no matter what this life tells me, no matter what pleasures I have to forsake, I believe there is greater pleasure in Christ. No matter what applause or approval I have to forsake here, there is a far greater approval that I am seeking in heaven. God, would we sing about that? Would we live about that? And would we just leave here feeling so encouraged, Jesus? We love you.